Hey, all you groovy developers out there. Welcome to .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. I'm Carl Franklin here in New London, Connecticut, and my partner in crime in Atlanta, Georgia, Mark Dunn. How are you, Mark? Hi there, Carl. How are you doing this evening? All right. Well, we don't even know when this one's going to get aired. We got a little bit behind in our recording and our scheduling on the website, but uh, so I, I don't even want to attempt the news of the week. Uh, for fear that we might be talking about something that's completely wrong by the time it airs. So how have you been? Hey, man, I've been doing great. Uh, going yeah. down to scenic Montgomery, Alabama to spend some time with family. Got a big family down there? Yeah, you bet. That's my wife's family. I used to work with this guy in California uh, who's a brilliant dude. Just one of the, probably one of my top ten smart people in the world that I know. Name is Trent, and he's from uh, Houston, Texas. And he tell, told us all sorts of stories about how, you know, he has a huge family. And after Thanksgiving dinner, they'd all sit around, you know, with his brothers. And somebody would say, you done eating? He'd say, yep. Brother would say, want to fight? <laughs> <laughs> Just goes, you know. The difference, you know, around my around my uh, family, we would like watch the football game and play pitch. You know, that was what we would do. But uh, won't fight. <laughs> well, you know, that's close to uh, Thanksgiving with my family. My brother is a retired uh, politician. Mm -hmm. uh, he's been a Democrat his entire career, and of course, I was a member of Young Republicans in high school. Right. So uh, you know, our our uh, dinners always circle around. Uh, Political issues. And somebody, and, you know, I'm I'm 180 degrees most of the time from the rest of my family. Somebody usually ended up getting hit, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> peas are thrown across the table. <laughs> We're still paying for John Kennedy's death. Texas <laughs> is still paying for John Kennedy's death. Well, anyway. Um, yeah, Sam Sam Kennison used to do a routine uh, about Willie Nelson and how uh, the whole tax issue that Willie went through was just a misunderstanding. Really? Uh, Willie used to throw a big party in Texas every year, uh -huh. and he said that Willie had misunderstood that he didn't have to pay tax taxes, he had to pay Texas. <laughs> it's just one letter. Yeah. It's a little, uh, have to be a little myopic to get that one confused. Well, anyway, uh, I just got uh, some some stuff in the mail from thenerds.net. I don't know if you've ever been to their website, but... Well, I'm, I'm a big fan. I order stuff from them. Invariably, when I do a search on streetprices.com for some sort of gear, I invariably end up at thenerds.net. They just have really good prices, and they're, they're fantastic. So anyway, I went iPack accessory crazy this week. I got a foldable keyboard, a 256 megabyte storage card, and uh, let's see, a, a cigarette lighter power thing, power adapter. Right. And, um, uh, w you know, one of those extra long life battery packs with the du the dual expansion pack. Did you get the CF card or the PCI card? The CF card expansion yeah. pack. Yeah. So I've got, I'm styling. I already have the other, the other kind. So uh, we're going to, we're going to see. I'm going to take it out in the woods and write a book. There you go. Oh, that will that will be the true test. Carl Carl in his natural habitat. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um it's interesting. Uh you, you have an iPad too, don't you? Yeah, I do. I've got a uh, thirty nine seventy. 
Yeah, that's the one I have too with Bluetooth. Not quite the the the, the state of the art. The the new ones are coming out. Well, I guess it's state of the art right now, but the new ones are coming out in a couple of weeks. That's right. The uh, five thousand series. They've uh, got biometric security in them. Jeez. And uh, I think it's got <clears throat> a Wi-Fi card built into it in addition to Bluetooth. So it's got your. Uh, it'll recognize your thumbprint for security. I don't know if it's a something. thumbprint. I, uh, I'm kind of curious about that. Uh, perhaps our guest tonight will uh, will know something about it. Hey, that's a good idea. Why don't we uh, introduce our guest? Um, interesting, we've been talking about iPacks, and believe me, it's no coincidence. We, we figure all this stuff out beforehand. We spend hours, don't we, Mark? That's right. Planning is our top priority. <laughs> <laughs> so our guest tonight uh, comes from Montreal, and he is uh, affectionately known as Active Nick from all the Canadians and Beavers up there. Uh, Nicholas Landry, how you doing? How you doing, guys? All right. Well, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs> that was brief. That was short. Thank it's been you very a great much. show. Bye. Thank you very much. No, I'm a I'm a big fan of the show. I'm really really glad to be here. Although I'm a bit, I'm a bit disappointed because I think this is the first time that Mark hasn't said I'm really really excited about tonight's show. That's true. Well, you know, it goes without saying. Now, I mean, I am truly excited about having uh, you on no, the show tonight. No, no, no good. <laughs> it's too too little too late is that right yeah i'll just have to bring the excitement to the show this time around because i really love this show i listen to it at work or uh i download it to my pocket pc as well and i listen to it on the road or uh or when i work out for example i actually listen to it in my dreams yeah yeah so i hear well, working out is a good thing because I know, Carl, there's something about you that just incites me to work out very hard. Yeah, and let's just not go there, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I have what is colloquially known as computer ass. <laughs> Programmer ass. So and i got to ask you a question because this is episode, I think, what, 10 or 11 or something. Something but like that. In um, in your very, very first episode... Yeah. You you start the show by introducing the show, and then you say that you usually have a co-host. But then I figure, this is episode one. So how can you say that you usually have a co-host? Is it, in fact, like Star Wars with no. episode four, and you have .NET Rocks prequels? No, no, no. <laughs> um, although that's a good joke, and I'm glad you said it, because, you know, the listeners need to laugh. The um, What I meant to say is we will usually have, not we usually have, but we will usually have, a co-host. Ah, okay. Because yeah. I was actually looking over all over the internet for pirate sites where I could find stuff like the Franklin's Menace or uh-huh. Attack of the Geek. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I guess we'll edit that one out. <laughs> yeah, those no, you got to get a cricket, cricket sound. sound. Yeah. <laughs> so the um, uh, reason that uh, we have you on is to talk about mobility. Yes. Mobility is a very, very exciting topic in .NET because now you finally have a lot of options. It's probably the best offering in terms of mobility development that you can find at .NET. So before we get into it, why don't you uh, establish your credentials to the listener and uh, okay. tell us about yourself. What's okay, the history well, uh, of Nick? As you've stated so eloquently earlier, my name is Nicolas Landry. I'm a French-Canadian. I live in Montreal, Canada. And uh, I'm the chief software architect. Of... Yeah, what, the French part? No, the moose part. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the uh, chief software architect of a uh, company called DotBlocks. DotBlocks. Uh, yeah, DotBlocks. Uh, it's D-O-T-B-L-O-X, DotBlocks.net. Okay. And um, we offer software services and products for mobility. We build custom solutions for enterprises, and we also have reusable products. And uh, we just 
live and breathe mobility stuff. So you don't do anything else but mobility solutions? Um, it's kind of a yes and a no, because yes, we only do mobility, but what people have to understand is that mobility goes all the way to the back end. Right. Because mobility will simply give you a, a new form of client, whether it's web-based or rich client-based, but on a mobile device. We're talking presentation tier here. Exactly. So you still need the, the business tier, you still need a data tier, and we provide turnkey solutions. So we go all the way to the back end, integrate with other systems within the enterprise with uh, technologies like BizTalk, for example. So, but, but we'll focus on business processes that are in need of mobility to become more agile. And that's a good point because a lot of people kind of think of these handheld devices as toys, and they don't really consider them to be an integral part of the business process. And, and that, that seems to be so Star Trek, you know, so off in the future, so tricorder-ish that, you know, that we don't even want to go there until it's really robust. So tell us why, you know, what are some of the ways in which you can use these things to save time and money? Okay, well, well, you said it right there, save time and money, first of all, because that, that's the first part of my answer. You need to be able to prove that this device will save you time, will save you money. And that this, by saving time, this is how you'll save money. Because, for example, it's proven that management-type people that are higher up in the hierarchy are usually very difficult to reach. They're always in meetings. They're always very busy. But they're also key to the company, which means that you cannot simply automate their interventions. They right. need to take decisions. They need to have information to take informed decisions. So one way that you can reintegrate these people back into a business process is to give them a mobile application that will give them access to this information by notifying them in real time and then accessing mission-critical information and quickly approving or just or denying something, some request, and then moving forward. So that's normally a business process that would have been locked until that person would have been become available again. So what are some scenarios that okay, well, uh, lend themselves really well to this? Yeah, that's so that's the angle. The in terms of scenarios, there are a lot of scenarios. For example, one big area for us is field service. Uh-huh. Field service is whenever you have people working on the field, uh personnel, often very technical personnel like uh, technicians or mechanics that are going to repair copiers or trucks or computers or vans or whatever. And you need to manage uh, work orders to dispatch the personnel to the right places, uh, send them notifications that they have a new job on their agenda for the day. Um, very often, these people have to do repairs on the field, so they have to carry around a uh, mobile inventory. Hmm. So it's a good idea to have a local database that they can just log around with them in a little device and then uh, they can manage their mobile inventory. They can have devices that have a barcode scanner integrated into them so that as they use parts in their repairs, they can just scan the barcode numbers for those parts. Automatically, they're deduced from the uh, mobile inventory and also from the central inventory. The parts are going to be billed automatically to the client. They log in the hours automatically. You can get billing, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that's just one area. A very uh, big one. Uh, what, um, what are we talking for? You can also have um, field inspections, also because very often, for example, on transportation, the same people that have to go out on the road and repair trucks and vans, they also have to perform uh, inspections and surveys of these trucks to make sure that they are compliant with uh, traffic rules or uh, transportation rules or whatever you call them in the states. You, know, you have to forgive me; I'm a Canadian, so I don't know anything about the U.S. Yeah. Except where the bars are. 
<laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so what what are we talking about to get set up with one of these things? Or you know how is it a big expense for a company to invest in in some devices? And are they you know how how cheap can we get them? Um, actually, it's not a big expense. You have to see it as an investment. Right. And this is how you have to sell technology today, not just mobility, but I would guess especially mobility, since. As you said earlier, mobility sounds too cool to be business-like. Yeah. So people think that they're just gadgets. So that's why initially we'll always push for a pilot project and then try to show them this is how what you need to, to get started. We'll push for a project that's going to have maybe just 10 users. Yeah. We're going to show them how the process will work, how they can save money into this. And then once we've proven on paper and using really like hard numbers, yeah. then they can move on. If I was a manager, I think I would be a little bit afraid of saying to somebody, hey, you know, go buy some iPack stuff and, and uh, let's get going with it, you know, for fear that they might buy, download, you know, $100,000 worth of games and toys and, you know what I'm saying? I, I mean, that kind of, yeah, <laughs> that kind of sounds like, you know, well, why should I let you have all the fun kind of stuff, so... Well, that, that's the thing. First of all, what we do is we always uh, push for a turnkey solution. So we'll provide them with the software, with the hardware as well. So we resell some hardware, whether it's consumer-oriented devices or more ruggedized devices, because you don't want to give an iPad to a mechanic on the road. That's a scary thought, Nick. Yeah, because he'll, huh. just, he'll just destroy, he or she, well, usually it's a he, but he'll just destroy it to, to pieces, and it's not going to last like 15 minutes, because these people are, will manipulate the iPad the same way they would you know, a wrench. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you do for guys like that? You know, a truck driver, if if we had an app that uh, he needed to run on an iPack, uh, can you you uh, somehow guarantee that they're not going to tear it up, I guess? Well, you have to give them a device that's going to be called a ruggedized device. And there are companies mm -hmm. like uh, partner companies of ours, like Symbol Technologies and Intermec, that have been around for over 20 years, by the way. And these, these companies have been living in the mobility world forever. It's just that they were using more proprietary technologies and there were more uh, industrial niches and scenarios that they were focusing on because you didn't have standards like Wi-Fi, like what, what you have today, or GPRS or 1X. So these companies have ruggedized pocket PCs and they're running the same operating system that we love that you find in the IPAC or the Toshibas or the Jornadas. It's all Windows CE based. But this device can actually be dropped from five feet high on a concrete floor over 20 times. Uh, you can drop it in water. You can sneeze on it. You can just do whatever you want with it, and it won't break. Yeah, that's an interesting thing because Mark and I were just talking about these hard drives that you can get. Uh, they're PCMCIA card hard drives. They can just plug or compact flash as well. Yeah. Okay. So like a five gig uh, hard drive or something like that. But you know that. That's really got to be ruggedized in order for you to do anything with it. You drop that from five feet and it's broken, isn't it? Yeah, well, the good thing about the flash card is it's solid state. Uh, you know, some of the larger hard drives that are PCI cards, I mean, you literally have little platters that spin around in there. Yeah, it's a, it's a magnetic uh, media. It's the same as a hard drive, so it's got the same flaws as a hard drive. You just came back from a couple of conferences. Um, we, we saw you at Dev Connections down in uh, Florida in Orlando. Yep, Dev Connections is actually a great show. I really love it very much, and uh, it's probably one of the best shows to speak at. Yeah, it really is. I love it. It's a load of fun. The speakers are really amazing. The organization is also great because they always set up a quality event. And yep. uh, the cool thing is also they always pick these great locations. Yeah. So for attendees, it's like a vacation going there. It's actually right. very hard to convince them to come to sessions because it's so beautiful out there. <laughs> it's true. 
So were you speaking on uh, mobility down there? Uh, yes, I had a lot of topics, including some on mobility, because I had stuff about .NET in general and asynchronous programming and web services and UDDI. But I also had some sessions on calling web services from mobile devices. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, kind of cool, but uh, also it's one of my... Um, got a big uh, controversy uh, thing surrounding web services on mobile devices. So so why is that? Um, it's just that it's it's the XML part. Mm-hmm. XML is all good and fine, but you need a lot of bandwidth for XML. Okay. And uh, just like XML was uh, first introduced in 98 in version 1, uh, by the time we got in 98, the, the internet connectivity was already pretty good. We had broadband. Uh, you could get good ISDN or DSL or cable modem connections. Yeah. So that was fine because we could absorb the 10 to 1, the well, average 10 to 1 ratio of XML over the wire. But the thing is with wireless connectivity, if you're looking at, for, for example, 1X or GPRF, uh, not necessarily Wi-Fi, you're surfing at, the, uh, at an internet speed that's similar to what we had in 94. Hmm. And in 94, XML would not have been a viable technology because back then what was important was performance not necessarily interoperability and xml web services are all about uh, well xml and web services are all about interoperability and not necessarily performance so basically your average connection on an ipac is going to be 56k and so you know having the overhead of xml is not not helping Pretty much, because theoretically, if you're using a GPRS connection, you're supposed to be to go up to 115. So what's GPRS? I have to be the acronym police here. Oh, okay, that's true. Uh, GPRS is the uh, General Packet Radio Service. It is a wireless technology that allows a device to connect to the internet over, you know, a wireless connectivity. Now, Mark, we were talking about that just recently, weren't we? Yeah, we were. So what? It, so GPRS, we, you, you had a guy um, over in. Paris that was using it, and you were communicating with him. Yeah, I was. I was interested in it because I, uh, you know, I saw on the Compact site where they had a cell phone solution that used uh, GPRS. So I started trying to look into it, looking for uh, forums on the internet. So I finally find one and start talking to uh, to a guy about it. He tells me how great it is, but it turns out he lives in France. And from what I could tell, there wasn't uh, a current available solution in the U.S. for GPRS at that point. And the more I looked into it, uh, I found that Ericsson, I guess, has the contract uh, to be the first provider of a GPRS solution. Well, actually, you do have some providers that have GPRS already over there. I don't know what they cover exactly, but uh, since we were talking about deaf connections in uh, Orlando, um, my carrier here is Rogers AT&T in Canada, and uh, my roaming goes through AT&T, of course, in the U.S., and uh, I did have GPRS access when I was in Orlando. Right, and I think I think that's okay if you if you subscribe to it in a different country. I just don't, I'm not so sure that you can subscribe to it through a U.S. provider yet. That's bad. <laughs> and you know I could be wrong about that. Well, I, maybe. You know, One X is also being deployed. One X RTT. I, I, I fail to remember exactly what the acronym stands for. But it's uh, it's the another equivalent to technology to GPRS, slightly better. And uh, slightly faster, but uh, pretty much an equivalent. And uh, I know that other providers, like uh, I think it's Sprint, is deploying One X uh, in the U.S. So these are two options that you have for wireless connectivity to the internet. There's always two options, aren't there? It's DSL and cable. It's this and that. The other thing. ISDN. Beta, v- uh, VHS. You know. Yeah, beta and VHS. 
Well, you know, the main thing I want is just to have a cell phone and, you know, the PDA together. Right. Well, that's coming. That's coming because you, you're going to have the option of either buying a uh, pocket PC phone edition, like the new T-Mobile that already started uh, uh, getting deployed in the U.S. Pocket PC, G- what did you say? It's, pocket, it's, it's called a pocket PC phone edition. And that's an OS? Uh, yes, it's actually a variant of the Pocket PC 2002 operating system. Okay. It's just that Microsoft has bundled additional software for GPRS or WinX connectivity to the Internet. Ah. And also you get phone connectivity in there, so you can actually use it for voice. So you can just put your Pocket PC to your ear and go, hello, yes, Nick here. Will that, will that work on any Pocket PC? No, it's a new device. Okay. That's the thing. You have to buy a Pocket PC phone edition device. You can use any Pocket PC today, though, and buy expansions for them. For example, I have this nice little uh, uh, compact flashcard made by AudioVox, and it gives me GSM GPRS connectivity, so I can use it either as a phone. In this instance, I have to connect a hands-free headset you know, to it. It's a standard headset, and I've got a dialer software that I can install on it to use what? it as a phone. Does it work? Yeah. Oh, my God. It works great. Is you, it only in Canada? You can actually use it for your iPad if you want. It's not sold in the U.S., though. Ah. Uh. We ordered it from some web page on the internet, and half of the page was in Taiwanese. And uh, we saw the <laughs> well, we saw the little lock at the bottom of the Internet Explorer page. So we figured, oh, what the heck? Let's just try. It's just five hundred bucks. So, well, Canadian, so it's like ten bucks U.S. Do you have to uh, have beavers in your backyard in order for that to work? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you could order it. It's a, it's some obscure web page. It's called an AudioVox RTM eight thousand. I guess just, what I'm asking is, will it work in the U.S., do you know, or is it only in Canada? Um, just as long as you have a 1X or GPRS connection, it'll work. Because you need to put a SIM in there, because you know these connections, they require these little SIM cards. How much was it, that, that little device? It was 283 U.S. Huh. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it's actually very nice. And uh, so we ordered. We figured, you know, they, they have policies to, to prevent fraud on the Internet if it doesn't work. And uh, what do you know? Eight days later, a box shows up. And uh, we tried it, and then since it was working, we ordered two more right away. Now, um, I want, this is a good time for you to explain something, uh, sure. which is the difference between Windows CE, Windows CE.net, Pocket PC. Oh, yeah. You know, that people are confused, and, you know, no, no kidding, you know. Okay, well, let me try to put it in very simple terms. Okay. Um, first of all, Windows CE is a specific modular version of Windows that Microsoft has created for embedded systems. So this is not a Windows that you can buy in a store. This is a Windows that has to be licensed and packaged directly inside of a device by a manufacturer. So would we see this on a phone? On a phone, on an iPad, on, on any kind of device, any, any kind of little pocket computer. It, Windows C has been around since 96, and they've, they've got version 1, version 2, 2.11, 2.12, uh, version 3, Windows CE 3.0, is probably the most popular version because that's the uh, one of the most current versions that you have right now. So Windows CE 3.0 is an embedded operating system for mobile devices. Okay. Then what Microsoft has done, because since Windows CE is modular, manufacturers get to pick and choose what they want out of it. They can pick if they want uh, an opera, uh, a UI, you know, like the start button and everything. Maybe they don't want to have a UI. Maybe they want to they want to build their own shell for it. Because you have variants of Windows CE for the Auto PC, or Windows CE for automotive something they call it. Auto PC, yeah, I heard about Auto that. Auto PC. So, so CE a, isn't just for mobile devices, then. It could be for any kind of embedded system, right? Well, if it's in your car, I'd figure it's mobile, right? Well, I know that, but. Uh... <laughs> 
That's not why I said that. <laughs> well, yeah, because you're going to have separate modules, for example, for voice recognition or text-to-speech in there. And uh, that's why they say the Windows C can go everywhere, for example, like in the uh, Sega Dreamcast. Or a refrigerator. C, yeah. And uh, you can put it in a dishwasher if you want or something okay. like that. So you get to pick and choose what you want out of there if you want the kernel. Well, yeah, I need to have the kernel, but do you want uh, like uh, drive support or do you want expansion support and other features like that? And then Microsoft, what they did to try to encourage compatibility between devices, they kind of picked one set of specifications, well, one set of features, and then built a spec with that. And they called it the Pocket PC spec. Okay. So they said, if we take Windows CE 3.0 and make sure that you have these parts in there, and it's got a quarter VGA sideways touchscreen, like 240 by 320, uh, at least one expansion slot, either SD or compact flash or PC card, uh, no keyboard, but it's going to have a little soft keyboard or other input device that you can have in there. Uh, um, some RAM, of course, some ROM, and an IRDA port for infrared connectivity. Then they said, if you build a device using those specs, then that's a pocket PC device. So a pocket PC is pretty much... Uh, it's like a shell extension on a specific implementation of Windows CE 3.0. Okay. The the first generation was Pocket PC or what they call Pocket PC 2000. Then they came out with a Pocket PC 2002, like all the latest iPacks, like the ones that you were talking about, the uh, 3970 or the uh, Toshiba E740 or other devices like that, like the Jornada 568. These are all Pocket PC 2002 devices. Okay. And that means that if you build a software for any implementation of Pocket PC 2002, it's going to work on all of those devices. Okay. Windows CE.net is the new version of Windows CE, so it's version 4. So it's not an add-on, it's not a module, it's not an extra. It's actually just a new version, just like you had Windows 2000 and then Windows XP. Which also happens to support the .NET framework. Exactly, the .NET Compact framework. Right. Is that available now, or is that still in beta? Uh, Windows CE.net is the final. It's been shipped to OEMs, and uh, you can expect devices to hit the stores in the 2003. Um, the .NET Compact Framework itself is also released. It's RTM, it's gold code. So it's also been packaged as part of CE.net and shipped to manufacturers so that you can expect these devices to already have the .NET Compact Framework built in. Wow, so you think the next version of the iPack that's coming out is going to have the framework built in? Um, I don't think so, because the, even the next version of the iPack, the 5400 series, uh, is still a Pocket PC 2002 device. So that's still oh. a CE3. Oh, okay. So there'll be a Pocket PC 2003 or something like that? I tried to find that out, because I was trying to, to, to pick Microsoft's brains, you know, the mobility teams, to ask, like, are you going to have some Pocket PC spec very soon that's going to be based on Windows CE.net? And I guess the the obvious answer is yes, but they're not committing to any announcement or anything. So you probably have, I would guess, I guess it's pretty safe to say a Pocket PC 2003 or something like that. That's going to be based on CE version 4. Or are these uh, devices upgradable, Nick? Uh, could I take, say, my 3970 and uh, and up, upgrade it to the... Uh the 2003 Pocket PC OS? Well, yeah, because that's a great uh, functionality that most of the OEMs have adopted today. I think it's even part of the spec now. I'm not sure. But they're all using what they call Flash ROM. So the whole operating system is not burnt on a ROM now. It's on a Flash ROM that can be updated or flashed again, as we say. And uh, Flash ROM, the, the great thing is that it keeps information even if there's no battery power. 
Compact Flash uses the same technology, for example. So that's why you can just remove it from your device and then it still works. So using that technology, you can install a new version of the OS. Just like the first generation of iPacks was using uh, the Pocket PC 2000 operating system. And then when Microsoft came out with a Pocket PC 2002 spec, then they, they, they gave that to manufacturers, and then it was up to the manufacturer to publish a new version of a flash image that you can put on your machine. Because hmm. Microsoft doesn't uh, supply Windows C operating systems to consumers. They only give them to manufacturers because they're the ones who license it. So it's up to them to take that new operating system and then package it into a compatible format and test it for their device. So if you're a hardware company and you're, you're doing custom OEM hardware and writing your own software for it, is it really easy to embed the, you know, the Windows CE operating system in a device? Does it come on a chip? I mean, how does that work? Well, yes, it, it's kind of, well, easy. It depends. It's easy for people who are used to low-level programming. Right. But then again, all you have to do is license the Windows operating system from Microsoft. So you have to get in touch with Microsoft, first of all, and say, we want to license Windows CE. And then you can already have today uh, the tools in, as part of MSDN um, that include, for example, the Platform Builder. Yeah. And the Platform Builder is the set of tools with wizards and everything, because, of course, you know you have wizards everywhere. Right. And they, they help you in doing that pick-and-choose thing that I was telling you about, where you can choose what kind of a platform are you building. And I imagine then you can just burn it to a, you know, a ROM. Well, yeah, I'm not familiar with the exact process after that because you need to build an image that's going to be compatible with the chip and with the processor that you have in there. This is computer engineering stuff and right. software architects, so I try to steer clear of those things. I'm a VB guy. You know? Have you ever worked with companies like that that do these custom hardware solutions, or do you pretty much use the Actually, we're, the we're working with a company right now that's looking at a new device, but unfortunately I'm not at uh, liberty to say anything about this. All right, well, that's okay. I just <laughs> wanted to know. But I can tell you, though, it's, it's a pretty nifty device, and um, it's unlike anything you've seen before. This stuff is all very cool. So, Mark, are you excited now? Yeah, I am I'm just thrilled. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> I, I was curious, Nick, uh, what's the footprint for the, the compact framework? Okay, well, the .NET compact framework, because I don't think I've actually defined what it is so far, uh, the .NET Compact Framework is a lighter version of .NET that runs on Windows CE devices. So it allows you to benefit from the same great services that you have on the desktop and on a server with .NET, but use them for mobile development. Uh, the .NET Compact Framework, I looked at the binaries recently. They've grown a little, but I think it's around 2 megabytes, something like that. Wow, that's not much. That's not much at all. It's yep. pretty good when you think about the uh, the, the full-fledged uh, .NET framework, which is over 24 megabytes, I think. Yeah, that's right. What, what a different philosophy, too, because, you know, PCs are just so hardware-rich today that, you know, memory is cheap, hard drives are cheap. So, you know, you can build an operating system without really having to worry so much about resources. And then we go back to a small handheld device, and you're you're suddenly boxed in again. Which begs the question, Nick, what's, yeah. what's not there? What's not there? <laughs> what did they Actually, take out? Actually, it's kind of funny because just before I answer this, just a comment on what Mark just said. It, it is kind of a funny business we're in, because the whole IT business, not just mobility. Because if you look at the evolution of software development, it's, if you look at user interface, for example, it seems like every time we master one form of UI, a new technology comes along to challenge us with some kind of a new user experience. So, for example, we went from DOS, and then by the time we could do great UIs in DOS, then we had these graphical user interfaces in Windows that came along, and then it was difficult to do anything then. 
And then after, when we finally mastered UI in Windows with great tools like, for example, like VB, then the web came along. And then suddenly you had these conferences where people were showing, look, I have a UI with a text box and a button. And you're like, we've been doing this for years with VB. Right. And now that we finally mastered a web as well, well, let's build UIs for little devices like pocket PCs or, or for worse, phones. So it's kind of a of a weird situation because the the user experience changes a lot and developers have to adapt to that user experience. And the, the the bad thing is that sometimes developers will try to uh, directly migrate their expertise from one field to the other without thinking about the fact that the user is not the same user or that user will not work in the same way. I see that all the time in the ASP.NET sections of the master class where I tell people in advance, I, I ask them to raise their hands, how many people are ASP developers? And, you know, half the half of them raise their hand. And I say, you guys are going to love this. How many people have never done Internet programming? And three or four people raise their hand. I say, you're going to think this really sucks. <laughs> I don't say that. I say, you're, you're not going to be impressed. You know, because... Yeah. <laughs> the thing, because to you, okay, so you got a text box and a button, and you read the, the put it in the label control. What's the big deal? You know, for ASP programmers who've been doing it the hard way, it's a completely different, uh, it's a completely different programming model. Well, that you said it because that's what .NET does. It just merges all these programming models from the world of VB, C plus plus, ASP development, and also mobile development. And uh, but let me answer your question now. What's what's not there? Okay. Um. Well, first of all, I really love the Compact Framework, so I'd like to start with what's there. <laughs> because uh, we're getting a lot of things that we never had before on these mobile devices. We're getting a full-fledged CLR. We're getting a JIT compiler, type-safe execution, garbage collection, base classes, exception handling, common type system. So all the great stuff that you already had inside of .NET, most of it is all in there. Um, you get Windows Forms development, ADO.NET. Uh, XML namespaces as well, collections, networking. I'm sure you will love this because being the Mr. Windsock that you are, uh, you get all those great uh, system.NET classes inside of the Compact Framework. Sockets. Yes. Sockets rule. <laughs> yeah, they certainly do. You can't get away from them, actually. You know, everything's eventually going to use a socket. Well, I guess. <laughs> Everything that communicates, anyway. So, in terms of what is not there... Um, in terms of considerations for size and performance, because as Mark stated, you don't have the same environment. You don't have CPUs that are as powerful. You also don't have as much memory. So you don't have COM interrupt. That's a big... Uh, I, I really miss COM interrupt in there because COM was a part of the Windows... Well, still is a part of Windows CE, just like it's still a part of Windows. And if you have existing applications that you want to interoperate with, um, well, you can't. Actually, the only way you can interoperate with a COM component from Windows CE uh, with the .NET Compact Framework, you would have to build a, a static DLL wrapper in C++ around your COM component and then call it using pinvoke. So that's one of the uh, hmm. the bad things in, in there. Uh, you don't have any pre-jitting, so you can't pre-compile, pre-jit your components, your assemblies in the Compact Framework. Um, there are also a lot of things that didn't make much sense to put in there. Like, there's no ASP.NET because very rarely will you want to host a web server on your iPack. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I can see that happening. <laughs> oh, I'm sure a lot of geeks would love to try it. Hi, I got a question. I'm trying to write, rewrite IIS on my iPack. And... <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you do have HTTP server services directly in, in, in Windows CE and especially CE.net. But since it's not a common scenario, Microsoft, they, they had to pull the plug somewhere, you know, and draw the line and say, we're going to put this in, we're not going to put this in because they want to have a good feature set for version 1.0 of the compact framework. So they had to draw the line somewhere. Uh, some of the other sad things that are not there, um, .NET remoting is not there. Ah. Uh. So, yeah, I know. But .NET Remoting is a very, very expensive engine. That would be so cool to have at least a client there. Now, now wait. Uh, web services work with IPACs and, or through uh, the .NET Compact Framework, right? Well, yeah, that was my point earlier. Right. So how how I, I always thought web services were kind of built on top of remoting. Not really. They're 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 based on HTTP client classes, but not directly on remoting because remoting uses a channeling. Uh, architecture, so you can pick your channel. You can use an HTTP channel or a binary channel. Well, just go to listen uh, listen to Rocky's show again if you want to know anything about that, that remoting. Yeah, right. But um, it's not exactly the same architecture under there because um, that remoting, as Rocky put it in his show, is kind of a superset of web services. But they are not based on the, the, the same classes. Well, of course, ultimately everything is based on system.object, but that's not really the point here. So remoting is not there, but yes, you can call web services. You can even make asynchronous calls to your web services. Now, that's very cool. Which makes a lot of sense on a pocket PC device because of that whole controversy uh, thing that I mentioned earlier with the uh, the low bandwidth and the fact that you're probably going to have a user sitting there and waiting. Hey, we got, a, we got a, a surprise for you. Before, before we get to that, let me just ask you one question. A lot of people... The first question they ask is, you know, what database engine do I run there? You know, what if I want to write a database application? And, uh, you know, people are automatically just trying to stuff those square pegs into round holes and say, you know, should I be running SQL Server on this thing or Access or what's the data thing? You know, you, you show them creating a data set and writing XML just to a file and reading it and writing it without a database, you know, for simple sets of data. That works really, really well. And uh, but if you want, you know, a more complex data application, there is a SQL Server. As a matter of fact, isn't there? That yeah, runs it's on. Yeah, called, it's called SQL Server 2000 for Windows CE, or known very shortly like it's called a SQL CE. That's very stripped down, of course. Very stripped down, yes, but still compatible. For example, you can right. even set up a SQL CE database for merge replication. And that's the cool thing, because then you can just write to your local database, you set it back in the cradle through ActiveSync, and all those records get merged automatically, right? That's one way of doing it, but if you have a live connection using Wi-Fi or GPRS, then the, the merge replication can also occur over wireless. Yeah, even better. So that Yeah, it is even better. You have to be careful, though, because when you said that you can use an XML uh, file that's persisted from an ADO.NET data set, um, that works fine, but if you have a lot of records, then that's really going to slow your machine down and yeah, be memory hungry. And that's why way, I said for a small set of data. Yeah the, yeah, the definition of a lot of records is not the same on a Windows CE device than it right. is on a desktop because a thousand records is a lot on a CE device. Yeah. Whereas on the desktop, it's it's nothing. Hey, we've been busy working on some videos for your enjoyment. Hey, I'm talking about Sunny Day. He's got a new video up at www.franklins.net. Not only that, but Mark Dunn and myself have put together some more how-to videos. Uh, Mark shows you how to create an image converter in vb.net. I show you how to call web services asynchronously and how to use event logs for inter-application communication. Hey, you don't want to miss that. That's pretty cool. 
Uh, as always, if you haven't signed up for our .NET newsletter, it's a good idea. We send you code every month and also notifications of new .NET Rocks episodes like the one you're listening to now. So go to franklins.net and uh, sign up for the newsletter. Now let's get back to our talk with Nicholas Landry, where our old friend Robert Scoble drops in on the phone and gives us a heads up about the tablet PC. Stick around. So we're on the line with uh, Robert Scoble from NEC. And uh, hi, Robert. Hey, how are you doing? It's been a long time since we actually talked in person. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for not talking to me. <laughs> Thanks for not calling me, man. <laughs> uh, you, you, um, it's been a long time. Well, it has been a long time, but uh, we go way back, don't we? Yeah, we do. You uh, were the, you were the faucet V-bits guy for a long time. Yeah, in the good old days. Right. Were you at the? Were you at the very first one? Yeah, I was. Wow. I, I was in your your class where uh, you were the first speaker to show the internet off at V-bits. Right. Remember that big storm that came up on the screen? That was an incredible moment. I was showing people how to, with the sockets control, download weather maps, GIF files, and display them in real time. And uh, it was in San Francisco, and there was a huge storm coming, and I got a real-time weather map. And it just showed this weather, just this storm approaching, and everyone gasped. And as it turned out, later that night, the power went out. <laughs> yep. And flooding and... <laughs> and you had to uh, cancel some sessions and stuff. It was ugly. Yeah, that was a big storm. <laughs> Very memorable speech. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. So anyway, you're um, now working at NEC? Yeah, I'm in the mobile solutions group. So we're selling p pocket PCs and laptops and uh, doing a new tablet. Cool. been getting a lot of press. Well, let me introduce you to Nicholas Landry. Hi there, Nicholas. Hey, how are you? Really well. So Robert, do you have a question for uh, Nicholas? Yeah, um, what opportunities do you see for uh, mobile developers uh, over the next year in the in the .NET? You know, people who are built, building apps with .NET for mobile devices. What what kinds of things do you think? What kinds of trends do you see happening? What kind of trends? Well, the first trend that I see is the the what we mentioned earlier on the show, which is the merging of programming models. Because you said, what do you see for mobile developers? Yeah. And it's true because before you had this notion of a of a web developer or a mobile developer or a C++ developer, but now they're all merging together inside of .NET. So I guess the first trend is regular Joe developers in, in IT departments or in companies will now be able to do mobile development, whereas before it was a field of specialty where you had to do like only this. Yep. Of course, you know, for the sake of my own company, I have to tell you that you still need to specialize into this, so you should come and see us. But <laughs> if you want to do it yourself, technologies like the uh, ASP.NET Mobile Designer or the .NET Compact Framework will make it easier for companies who just need to do a quick project or something that's not too overkill right. to build applications and, and essentially take their existing applications and extend them to these uh, mobile devices. Okay. Because today, we're, people are already used to integrating laptops inside of their application scenarios and their business uh, processes because it's the same operating system that's running on a laptop. Right. But uh, now that we have Windows CE and that's more mainstream and people want to use that, um, a lot of people wouldn't go there because you had to use the embedded tools. It was a, a separate environment that you had to use. And at least now with Visual Studio.net and the SDE, and the compact framework, you get to use the same environment, the same programming model. 
So that's, that's the great. first thing. The fact that developers can now build applications without requiring a new, uh, a completely new shift of attitude in terms of development. Right. From a corporate stand- standpoint, um, we've already discussed a bit earlier in the show about the different kinds of applications that you're going to see out there. And I think what makes the most sense is taking applications that you already have and then simply creating a new client for them. Right. Just the, like you have multi-tiered applications that can have both a rich client-based client or a um, rich client. That was a very bad sentence of mine. Or you can go and use a web client if you want. Now you're going to see applications that will have a third type of client that's going to be a mobile device. Okay. Or even a fourth type because you can also use rich client or web on these devices. Right. And companies will simply have to examine what people are still disconnected from the company. And then how can they be reintegrated inside of the business process even though they're not at home or sitting at their desk? There's actually a statistic that says that most knowledge workers spend only 40% of their workday in front of their desk. Wow. So if you can have these people get notifications in real time within the company, in the office, in, in, in meeting rooms, and things like that, then it's very e- it's much easier to get them back inside of the business process to right. make sure that they're still productive even though they are not sitting in front of their desk. Right. So you're going to see fields like, as I explained earlier, field service, field inspections, Salesforce automation, which is part of CRM as well, will probably get a big boost from mobility. CRM? Yeah, because okay. CRM has been kind of pretty slow to catch on. What is and it? And I guess the, the Salesforce part of CRM what is, is uh, going to benefit a lot from mobility. Definition? Right. So with CRM, are you talking about customer relationship management? Yes, exactly. Okay. See, I don't, I don't, so have, I don't have those terms on salespeople to not to have to rely on their laptops all the time. Because okay. it's long to use a laptop. You have to find a surface to put it on and then to turn it on. And then uh, the batteries like die so quickly on laptops. Whereas mobile devices like iPacks or any kind of pocket PC, these devices can usually last for the whole day. For the whole day. So, uh, so Nick, that gives you another option to simply input information very quickly, uh, look up uh, inventory for information, for example. There's nothing worse for, for a salesperson than to be in a meeting with a client, a potential client, and then push really hard for a product. And then finally the client agrees and says, okay, I'll order it. And then the guy goes out of the office and then goes back to his office and checks on the computer system and then realizes, oh darn, that product is out of stock. And we're back order on it and we're not going to get any like anytime soon and he's going to cancel the order. Whereas that person could have pushed for a different product directly in the meeting had they known or had they gotten a notification directly live in there. So it's all these little things like this or healthcare is another uh, area where you're going to see uh, mobility help uh, doctors and nurses a lot, where they can get bedside medical information without having to leave uh, sensitive equipment where anybody can just hack into or get access to sensitive data uh, right. directly in the hospital. Yep, security is a, a big problem. Uh, in fact, our, our division is selling a, a fingerprint security system for some of the mobile devices. Oh, cool. So that... Uh, you know, if you if you want access to your data, you have to put your fingerprint there, and then it'll turn on. Yeah, I was recently in an, in an airport when I was traveling and ran into uh, an engineer from IBM, and he was showing me a prototype device that he had made for proof of concept, and it had uh, a thumbprint biometric in it. 
Uh, he said IBM didn't manufacture that component. They bought it from someone else. But, you know, he was really into uh, the way this thing worked. Apparently, if you severed someone's thumb, that wouldn't work. You couldn't cut someone's thumb off and log into it because it would detect that uh, there was no blood circulating in the thumb. Wow. There was a nice picture. Right. right. <laughs> so, hey, Robert, actually, I'd like to ask you a question. Sure. Uh, you were at NEC, right? Yes. Do in you guys have a new position. tablet PC coming out? Are you in that big tablet PC wave? Yeah, we just at, at Comdex last year, last week, we announced uh, the Versa um, tablet, which is a uh, 0.6 inch thick tablet and weighs 2.1 pounds. Bill Gates held it up and said it was the lightest and thinnest one. So did so they far. sell the tablet PC at auction on eBay for the one that Bill Gates actually touched or something? Uh, no, <laughs> that's a good idea. <laughs> There's rumors here they actually took it in bed with him because that's what he said at the. <laughs> I know where he was surfing. (laughs) There was another picture I don't want to have in my mind. (laughs) They they erased the hard drive conveniently enough so we wouldn't know. (laughs) We wouldn't be able to look to his... uh... (laughs) In bed with with Bill and a tablet PC. Oh, man. So how are you pushing this device onto the market then? uh, What's your angle with the tablet PC? Well, we... We're, there's two kinds of tablets available. There's the convertible tablets, which have the keyboards built in, and then the screen spins, like the Acer device, spins around, and you can write on the screen then. Or HP has a, one of those as well. HP has a detachable keyboard where oh. the screen actually uh, has like a docking station almost that you can hook in and out of the keyboard. Um, the, those are pretty neat, and, and there will be customers who need a keyboard and, and cut come at the world through a keyboard-centric computing experience. Um, we th- we think the tablet is going to be successful only if it gets into new markets, in, the, in other words, into people who have to stand up during while they're doing their jobs, you know, people like lawyers or teachers. Bathroom or, attendants. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, or, or medical professionals like you were talking about, you know, a nurse who has to go from patient to patient to patient, write down and look up, you know, x-rays and, X, you know, stuff like that. And for those people, I, we think that the lightest and thinnest tablets are going to be really important. Do you have one, Robert? Uh, I have one here, yeah. It's pretty neat. Well, yeah, I had recently a UPS guy come by to deliver something, and he had me sign for the package on something that looked an awfully lot like a tablet PC. Was it brown? Uh, no, it wasn't brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like a beaver pelt. <laughs> but with that, I mean, with even with the true the the true tablet or slate designs, um, you can use keyboards. We have three USB 2.0 slots, so you can plug in a keyboard and a mouse and use it at your desk like a traditional, you know, Windows XP laptop. Uh, you know, like I, I I use most of the time on my desktop. Um, and then you can take it, you know, you can unplug it and take it on the on the road and go out and work on it as as a traditional tablet. We we think, at least listening to the customers who are calling about tablets, most of the initial people who are interested are in these uh, vertical markets. You know, people who have to stand up while they while they work. They're they're the first ones who are really interested in the tablet. I think eventually every laptop is going to be a tablet, anyways. Because the technology makes a lot of sense. It's so really hmm. neat to be able to circle things and 
draw on the screen and, you know, do a little bit of handwriting on emails and stuff like that. Is handwriting recognition any better on the tablet PC than, say, compared to an iPad? Or... Oh, good question. Yeah, it is. Uh, and it's different, too, because it, it there's a new data type on the uh, tablet, an ink data type. And that data type actually stores your handwriting as vector information. So, and underneath it is actually, it converts it underneath to uh, text. So you can search on, you know, if you write a page of notes, you can actually search for words in your page of notes, which is pretty interesting. And it understands Um, script and cursive and everything? Yeah, it it understands several languages, which is why the tablet over, over in Asian countries is actually even a bigger deal than it is here in the United States. Here in the United States, almost every computer user today knows how to keyboard pretty well. But over in Asia, you know, writing one language takes several keyboard, uh, you know, like writing kanji, the keyboard doesn't map to the 400 characters or the, four, I'm sorry, 4,000 characters that are in kanji. So Right. Uh, you have you ever seen a push. Chinese typewriter, Robert? Uh, I haven't. I saw one. It's yeah. enormous. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've heard that people have to do several keystroke commands for one one uh, you know character. Right. Where on the tablet, all they have to do is draw the character, and it automatically recognizes it. It's oh, really that's great. Pretty- I guess the challenge is going to be healthcare, though, because doctors are famous for have to have horrible handwriting. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> it, I was talking to a couple nurses who were asking about it, and a, a lot of times they're going around from patient to patient and just charting information, you know, is the patient feeling pain, yes or no? Is the patient, you know... Uh, is the patient it, alive? Is the patient breathing? Or what's their heart rate? And for those things, you don't really... Color of the patient's face. You could have a .NET application that has a user interface that says, you know, that has a little slider for how many uh, heartbeats per minute you're sensing. I wrote you know? something like that once, actually. Yeah, and, and so you can do a lot of data input without forcing the doctor or the nurse to do handwriting. Um, and to tell you the truth, most of the doctors would be able to plug it into a keyboard, you know, back at their desk, uh, if they're going to do a lot of um, data entry anyways, you know. Um, and also you, you store, you know, their, their handwriting is stored there so as ink, so you could print that out and look at it. And if you didn't understand it, um, if you, you know, can if ask you him, can't like, see you, it, the, the, you can ask him, like, do you actually read your own handwriting? <laughs> yes <laughs> so or no. So you get to see it right there. Yeah. Hey, I have a question for both of you guys. Maybe Nick, you know, maybe Robert, you know. What's the uh, what's the prognosis for the .NET framework on the tablet PC? Well, the tablet PC is Windows XP. So exactly. first of all, it is Windows XP. It's full version of Windows XP. Oh, really? So any... Any .NET app that runs on Windows XP runs on the tablet automatically. Awesome. Now to run to put to use the ink data type in your application, I believe it's just a, a control that you add in. There's an SDK that's freely available already, and yep. you can start building in user interface elements that use the ink data type uh, pretty easily, from what I understand. Cool. Hey, Actually, what does this thing cost? Oh, sorry. Hey, uh, hey, hey, uh, Robert. What do what do these things cost? What are they? Tablets. Selling for between sixteen hundred and twenty five hundred dollars, and there's about twenty many now, ten to twenty manufacturers that are selling various kinds of tablets. Um, NEC is going to be late, a little bit later to the market. We're coming in in the second wave, so we'll be shipping in the first quarter of next year. But there's several that are shipping right now. 
Uh, can you tell us what goodies are in your tablet? You know, processor speed, drive space. I, that kind I of thing? can't. I can't. Right now, there Intel's asked us not to reveal what what the internal specs of our tablet are. You can tell uh, us whether or not they have a wireless well, we'll internet, though. We'll keep it between though. us. Yeah. We <laughs> they have a wireless internet, though, right? We we have 802.11 uh, built in. Uh, cool. We have USB, obviously. Uh, it's it's a pretty much a full standard. I mean, if you use a think of a standard laptop today, the problem is also the digitizers are uh, because we're going for lightweight. We went with a ten uh, about a ten inch screen, ten and a half inch screen. Hmm. So. You know, you're, these aren't desktop replacement machines. They're not. They won't have 2,000 pixels across, and you know, Pentium fours. <laughs> They're right. The first waves have been, you know, either uh, based on a Transmeta around an 800 or 900 megahertz processor, or uh, Intel Pentium three style, you know, 900 megahertz. Do they support PCI cards? Um, no. Ours has Compact Flash. Uh, it's a compact flash slot. Some of them do have PC card slots. Okay. Um, Pick makeup cards. Some of them have FireWire, you know, IEEE uh, 1392 wow. capability. Uh, I don't think ours is going to have that, but we will have. Actually, we might have the Fire. Uh, I don't want to say. <laughs> but we definitely have three <laughs> USB 2.0 slots. So the USB 2.0 is just as good as FireWire for most. Awesome. Well, this seems like the uh, kind of the second life for the tablet PC. Uh, you know, a few years ago, it seems like I remember, you know, tablets were a big thing in the news. And then, you know, nothing really happened with them. Uh, do you see it being different this time yeah, around? Yeah, because it's a full version of Windows XP. Um, the previous tablets, I, I had a Clio, which was a previous tablet, and I've always had pocket PCs and Palms and that, that kind of device. And they were... Interesting, but they were always limiting. I I could never rely on them as my full, you know, my 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 main desktop PC because they did not have Windows XP. They were based on either you know Windows CE or some proprietary mix of stuff. So that's an and, interesting point. You know, this is full Windows XP. So if if there's a video game, it runs. You know, if if there's a application that you rely on, if it runs on XP, it runs on the tablet. Which is a huge improvement, you know, because I'm I'm a power user and I I need all the different applications that I use and I to go to Windows CE it just is so limiting. You know, it's a good point, Nick. To it's a good point to bring up, Nick, that uh, you know mobile devices now. You know, would you call a tablet PC a mobile device or not? I mean, yeah. it is a yeah. mobile device, but it Definitely. certainly has. So so you know the the mobile devices you're talking about are generally smaller, generally specialized for a particular task. Right. Yeah. Whereas the uh, tablet PC is more general use. The the thing the tablet changes to the market is now you can use a computer while standing up, and that's going to bring. I'm already getting a lot of calls from like school teachers and university professors, from lawyers, from uh, people who do home inspections. You so can while, imagine anybody who does their work while standing up at least some of the time. Like a gym instructor, for example. A gym instructor. You know, anybody who's... <laughs> and stretch. You know, a news, babe, a, a news person on TV who needs to stand up and read from a device, a tablet would be great for that. You know, well, um, A salesperson, J.C. Penney's is talking to us about tablets because if you're a salesperson, you have to stand up. And to go back to a central... Uh, station and crouch over a keyboard is makes you lose contact with your customer in some way. Whereas okay. if you could, 
So it's really the country. same argument that a mobile device like a like an iPad has, except that you uh, you know you have the full PC there. It's a yeah. little heavier, of course, and it's not as specialized. Right. So I can see you know these are two totally distinct markets. You know, if you want to have something you can take down in a coal mine, you know, and use a particular application that's very simple and you know gathers data or communicates or something like that. You know, an iPad might be a good thing when size yep. is important. Well, I would pick a rugged and, and device for a coal mine. Well, okay, yeah. you know what I mean, a rugged device. Well, also, you have to be uh, – the the tablets are much more price – you know, much more pricey instruments. Right, yeah. You know, they're 1600 bucks to start at the base models. In other words, the high-end models are going to be $2,500. That's something you'd give the guy in the warehouse. You know, a, a low-end pocket PC now is $200 for a Dell device up to, you know – Four hundred for hours and six hundred for the high-end devices with everything on them. Yeah. So you can buy a lot more pocket PC devices than you can tablets, but you're you're right. You're limited. The OS on Windows CE is not the same as uh, you know Windows XP. Um, you don't have the full version of Office. If you're an Excel freak, you you don't have you know the full version of Excel or right. Well, you know, what I always say is you have to pick the right device for the right job. And the tablet yep. PC is just a great new device that opens up a whole new set of possibilities. But it's not going to be used everywhere, just like you can't use an iPad everywhere. So right. it's another option in your arsenal. Yeah. I, I think within three or four years, most of the laptops are going to be tablets. Um, just because writing on the screen is is very powerful. And I think as people see that used in the corporations or at home, They'll want that feature, but um, clearly right now the the machines are you know smaller screens. The biggest screen I've seen is about a 12 inch screen, where you can get laptops now with 16 inch screens. Yeah, hmm. um, cool. Well, yeah. Uh, we get... so there'll, there'll be different devices for different things, but the the tablet clearly is a really neat new addition to our our. School. Cool. What resolution are you typically running on that? What resolution is 1024 by 768. I think the version 1.0 of the tablet OS actually limits you to that. So, Robert, for in exchange for your uh, you know nice 20-minute infomercial here, can you have NEC send me one? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk in February, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Listen, I'm really glad you called, and thanks a lot for talking with us. Hey, no problem. Thanks. All right. I'll see you later. Yo, 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 listen up. If you do any development with web services, you need to check this out. Go to msdn.microsoft.com. On the front page this week, uh, Microsoft has web services enhancements from Microsoft.net available for download. And so what this does is it gives you advanced web services functionality. And for Visual Studio.net and framework developers using Notepad, obviously, to support the latest web service capabilities. We're talking about digital signatures, encryption, message routing capabilities, and the ability to include message attachments that are not serialized into XML. So this is all based on standards, all based on WS security, WS routing, WS attachments, and DIME, DIME specifications. Look, there's white papers up there, there's downloads, there's code. This is just the tip of the iceberg here with uh, Visual Studio.net 2002. 2003 is right around the corner, and here we have uh, some serious enhancements for web services, and it's only going to get better. Check it out at msdn.microsoft.com.
So now on the phone with us from Internology in San Diego, California, it's Tim Huckabee. Gentlemen. Hey, hey, Tim. How are we? What's We're up? We're doing man? good. We're excited, Tim. Mark, Carl, I hear you have a uh, somewhat frame famous French Canadian on the show tonight. Yep, that's right. Um, that's exactly why I'm calling. So, Nick, is that you on the line? Yeah, that's me, Tim. Good How to are see you? you? Je t'aime, la plage. Que sera, sera. <laughs> that's all the French I know. I'll have to teach you more. Yeah. Well, I couldn't resist calling in knowing you had uh, Nick on the line tonight. Yeah. We know that you love Canadians, Tim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, don't incite me. So don't is incite it fair me to... into Canada jokes, please. Is it fair to say that you... trouble. Is it fair to say that you like Canadians? I love Canadians. <laughs> I just have a problem with them taking over the world. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they, I saw this article recently where they were talking about military forces, and apparently... Um, in all of NATO, the only countries that have fewer, little, but a smaller, actually, let me start again. The only countries in NATO that have a smaller budget in Canada in military are, I think, Iceland and Luxembourg. That's because America <laughs> will bail you out anytime, you know. Yeah, exactly. So what should you have to worry about? Well, Being I guess... attacked by beavers or moose or something. <laughs> <laughs> a beaver stormed the... Edit that. <laughs> Yeah, I think most of the famous comedians in the world are Canadian, aren't they? Uh, Aykroyd and uh, Jim Carrey, they're both Canadians. John Candy, oh, he's dead. Yeah. Pam Suffice it to Canadian, say, you know? I spend a lot of time in Redmond, Washington, which is not actually that fun, but, man, you would swear that Microsoft is being taken over by Canadians. Really? Oh, man, eh? a lot. So is Canadians that why the stock there. dropped? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Tim, you have a question for Nicholas? Of course, the reason for my calling. So, Nick. Yes. You know, we've we've been, through the years, we've been in this web versus Windows debate and <laughs> many a shouting match in conference, conference rooms I've personally witnessed. And it wasn't until .NET, really, that we started considering uh, Win32 apps again, or I guess we call them Windows apps now, or Windows Forms apps, mm -hmm. because of, you know, .NET makes deployment relatively easy, although we're... We're not there that yet. Um, but I'm interested to hear, because you're so uh, big in mobility, if you're seeing the same type of arguments on the MMIT versus Compact Framework side. And I should throw the acronyms. Uh, Microsoft Mobile Internet Toolkit, Thanks. of course, is a, a web-based uh, client. It has a new name now, by the way, because it's called the ASP.NET Mobile Designer. They they probably changed it, you know, after Ari Bexhorn referred to it as good old Mehmet on VBTV. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, first of all, yes, there is a debate. But the answers to the debate are not the same ones. Because um, some of the things you have for .NET are not there for the Compact Framework. So, for example, you don't have auto-deployment on the Compact Framework. So wherever you would feel like you can still go to a rich client on .NET because you get the advantages of deployment through auto-deployment, then uh, it's not there on the uh, Compact Framework, so you have back to square one in terms of the debate. Although, the big difference is that when you, whenever you're using a desktop application that connects to a, a web server, either through the internet or an intranet-based application, it's very easy to have connectivity. Whereas on a mobile device, getting connectivity is kind of tough. 
So if unless you can always have you know 100% of the time a connectivity to your web server, then you have to go to a rich client that's going to give you offline use. So hmm. right away you're probably going to have much more, well, many more .NET Compact Framework scenarios than ASP.NET Mobile Designer scenarios because of this, unless we actually reach a point where connectivity to the wireless Internet is uh, a lot easier and more mainstream. Well, that, that's inter- you make an interesting point there, and which leads to the bigger debate. Uh, well, but firstly, you know, the disconnected scenarios certainly com- make this thing even more complex decision. So I think you just said that we're still going to yell at each other in conference rooms when it comes to design time. But uh, what we're finding, you, you know, we're fairly savvy on uh, mobility and have written in numerous apps, but we're just not seeing a lot of work. And, and the reason is, you know, in America, we don't have the infrastructure like they have in other places in the world. Including now, can Canada, by the way. From a Canadian perspective, and then certainly worldwide, that, that you know, are you are you gonna are we gonna get? Is mobility finally gonna take off? Yes, definitely. And because uh, we're already in Canada, there, by the way, <laughs> this is one area, one of the few areas where Canada is ahead of the U.S. No, Ser- let's be honest. You're ahead of us in in a lot of ways. Certainly, okay, but see, no, getting but seriously. drunk and shooting shotgun blasts at animals <laughs> on the side of the road. You're way ahead of us. You get more beavers up there than we do. God bless it, Mark. Will you stop the beaver stuff? You uh, do more moose antler I've sculptures. I've got beaver on my mind tonight. <laughs> so are, are you talking about New Orleans stuff, Tim, again? <laughs> We're not going there either. <laughs> Wait a minute. What about New Orleans? Oh, yeah, I'm not saying. Crickets. <laughs> no kidding. Cricket, cricket. What happened cricket. in New Orleans? I want to hear this story at some point. What happened in New Orleans, Nick? Let's just say that Nick was particularly happy about some good sessions that he did at <laughs> God knows what event we were at. Dev Connections. Connections. I shouldn't forget this because uh, I love those guys. That's you, right? And we Carl? Lo- we love you too, Tim. I, lo- I love you, Carl. <laughs> and let's just say that Nick celebrated a little bit too hard that night. Ah. <laughs> Just just that night? <laughs> a wee too <laughs> much Jägermeister. Well, they have a famous drink on Bourbon Street at a place called the Tropical Isle. It's called a hand grenade. And the hand grenade has a reputation of being New Orleans' most potent drink. Uh-huh. And it, it's a secret formula. You don't know what's in it. And um, the, the consumption record is 11. I do not hold that record, by the way. Hmm. Most people will only have one. The heavy drinkers will have maybe two. Um, wow. I'm a regular in New Orleans now, so I can actually stomach four. So, Jeez. <laughs> so some guy drank 11 of these things? Excuse me? Nick's dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, that goes to show you that Tim was right. Canadians have us beat in the in the realm of drinking. Yeah, um, the only problem is you glow in the dark after you drink so many hand grenades. <laughs> <laughs> you count to 10 and then you explode. Yeah, yeah something like that. So yeah, we were talking about Canada and and the fact that we're uh, right. We're ahead in connectivity. So, I think okay. what happened in the United States with connectivity is uh, everybody overspent on all these big companies that um, promised to deliver the infrastructure, and of course, you know, they got caught in the uh, in the uh, dot com economy and went under. And I think there's nothing nothing else you can say about that. They just yeah, over overspent. 
they're slowly starting deployments, like we mentioned earlier, on OneX and GPRS. And we've we've had GPRS for over a year now here. Yeah. And uh, OneX is already being deployed and going to hit mainstream in uh, 2003. Cool. With uh, Bell Mobility here in Canada, all over Canada, by the way. Wow. And um, it's funny because back at Dev Connections, I was talking to our friend uh, Pat Hines, who did yeah. uh, episode one. And um, Pat was telling me on how happy he was because he actually got a, a GPRS connection up there around the Boston area. Mm-hmm. And he was all happy because he said, oh, I'm getting this great deal because I have unlimited access to wireless internet using GPRS for $99 a month. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Wow. $99 <laughs> you a go, month. Buddy. And he, he was happy. And he said, what do you get? Well, I said, I have unlimited GPRS for $50 Canadian. So it's like, what, four bucks US, I think, or something like that. Uh So it's a lot cheaper here, and uh, several carriers will offer it as Hmm. well. So I guess this shows a trend where, yes, mobility will pick up, and where the US are leaders in a lot of areas, I guess in communications, it's not always well the, it's not uh, that we're issue. it's not that we suck at communications that we suck at trying to run companies to do communications well i think that the fcc makes it a little complicated too. yeah well yes there's also the issue that you have the big carriers if you just go all over the world and look at how these countries are run in terms of communications you don't have the big monopolistic approaches right. of telecom companies that you have in north america yep and you have a lot of carriers over there that all have deals with each other. Right. And it's it's a lot easier to do business with these guys because you can actually approach them and sit down and talk business with them. Whereas if you try to do the same thing with Verizon or Sprint, um, they're they going to laugh the, at you. They don't give you the time of day. Yeah, unless you're Microsoft or right. another company like that. So it's not a, a free market competition kind of thing that is driving the prices low? I guess so, yes. Well, there's that, but also, Mark, I mean, they never even, a lot of these places never got their networks off the ground just because of political stuff and, and uh, inflationary stocks and, you know, high, too high stock prices and, you know, they just they just ran a bad company. Uh, so Tim Huckabee has magically transformed himself from his house to his car. Tim, you still there? I'm here. I'm here. I'm sitting next to the world-famous Bill Sheldon, actually. And we're on our way to the San Diego.net user group. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, you know, I don't think we ever defined exactly who is Tim Huckabee. No, we didn't. We said he was from Internology. He's a regional director from uh, San Diego. But, Tim, why don't you give a brief history of the Huckster? There's no brief history. <laughs> you know, <laughs> in my life, there's no brief anything. Uh-huh. But, uh, so you don't wear underwear is what you're saying? <laughs> uh, I run a, a company that's pretty fairly successful. Actually, it runs me. And that, uh-huh. uh, that company name is Internology. Yeah. But I do. Uh, I have a good life. I live a dual life. I've, uh, I do uh, a bunch of uh, technology evangelism. I'm a Microsoft regional director. I sit on way too many councils at Microsoft and partner advisory councils and such. Hmm. And I get to go around the world talking about technology. It's pretty fun, actually. You were actually the... You were actually the RD of the year one year, was it? Yes, I was the Microsoft Regional Director of the Year in the year 2000. How cool is that? And it was shortly after that that I formed the company, or I founded the company. Hmm. And, uh, you know, in, in life sometimes you get what you ask for, whether you like it or not. And uh, 
My partner at the time, Dave Lynn, who now works for Microsoft, and I used to bitch and complain. We were working for a company as, as we affectionately called it, the Evil Empire. Uh-huh. And we used to whine and complain about how we could do this better and we could do it honestly and ethically, and our clients would love us and you know screw these people. And he was the the head of sales and I was the head of engineering. And sure enough. You know, it doesn't take a lot of money to start a company, at least in the service business, and we fell into some bath backwards. And um, although last year was pretty much a night year, very difficult year because of the economy, it really has worked out quite well. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have, I have uh, a handful of very talented, you know, Nick Landry-type people who are going to be famous over the next couple of years. Great. And certainly 30 more people that uh, are, are just fantastic, talented people. Hmm. It's not easy, though. It's not about software. Sometimes it's about chasing work, as you guys know. Right. Oh, yeah. So now you spend a lot of time at Microsoft, and, and uh, I have heard through the grapevine that you have some incredible Bill Gates stories to share. Uh, well, let's let's make one thing clear. I do not know Bill Gates personally. Okay. I'm sure he would recognize me, and, and he'd point at me and look funny and go, you're the guy from San Diego, right? And I would say, yeah. I don't know him personally, but, uh, you know, having so many friends in Redmond, Washington, uh, you do hear a variety of Bill Gates stories. And the funny thing about Microsoft people is they always call him Bill. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Right. As if, as if all fifty thousand employees were on this personal relationship with Mr. Gates. Right. Yeah, they're all uh, on his buddy I, list. I, I would call <laughs> him, you know, sir. Yeah. You, when addressing him personally. Yeah. But uh, let's see, Bill Gates stories. They they either have a lot of cussing in them, so they're not suitable for your audience. Actually, you can cuss all you want. We'll bleep it out. <laughs> and you're gonna beep it out. Yeah. Or or they're um, sad. So let me think. You may or may not know I did the last launch event, uh, the Visual Studio launch in February yeah. of this year. Iron and, Developer. Uh, I got to spend uh, two days with Mr. Gates, uh-huh. and uh, it was um, very, very interesting, but kind of sad. Uh, and that is because, you know, he is he is beyond cultural icon now. He's almost the cult of personality. So he yeah. can't even walk into a room and make eye contact anymore. So many people, CEOs of giant companies are just begging just to shake his hand. It's really quite pathetic. Yeah. So anyway, so me and Woodgate and John Rauschenberger are backstage and, and uh, at a Bill Gates event. This is a long story. I'm sure you want to endure Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. At a Bill Gates event, uh, everything is so tightly scripted. Every little movement you make, every little demo has backup. You know, there's little people behind the stage following my mouse click just in case something goes wrong on stage. I mean, it's really quite a contrived event, as you might well guess. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot of Hollywood people behind the stage, and we're waiting for the event to start. And and, uh, John and I and Scott are, are joking about you know, there's nothing to be nervous about because we've done this so many times that there's nothing ad-lib in our whole shtick. And I could see him coming, and we're laughing, and it's like 10 minutes to showtime. And I see Gates appear from the from the shadows, and he walks right up to us and, and starts talking to us. And I thought, wow, this is cool. Oh, Carl, how could you do that to us? 
We want to hear the story. Okay, okay, we'll get back to the story in just a second, and it's awesome, I promise. But first, I want to follow up on this uh, extensions for web services that's available at msdn.microsoft.com. MSDN Magazine has an article by Janine Hall-Gailey in the December 2002 issue on using DIME, which is Direct Internet Message Encapsulation, for sending files and attachments and big binaries through web services. Now, I haven't read this in, at the time of this recording, so I'm still learning about it. But, uh, you know, it, it's definitely worth looking at. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is, ooh, security. I don't want EXEs being sent and executed, and uh, I want to make sure that that's going to be safe. Uh, so from what it looks like here, uh, it's a very rich architecture based on standards. Standards is what it's all about, and uh, I'm really, really looking forward to checking this out. Won't you join me at msdn.microsoft.com slash msdnmag, msdn online. All right, now let's get back to this great story that Tim Huckabee is telling us about Bill Gates right here on .NET Rocks. Prior to Gates locking up, the assistant producer, this little gal, had come up to the three of us and said, all right, you three, I want you to stand on this fucking piece of tape, and I don't want you to fucking move until I fucking tell you to. <laughs> <laughs> so then Gates walks up and sits talking to the average Joe. Well, I'm, you know, I'm facing Gates, and, and Scott and John are on, on you know, the sides. We're kind of in a little semicircle, and I see all the Hollywood-type people in the background. And certainly Gates has a, an entourage of VPs that he walks around with. And they're all talking and they're looking at us. And sure enough, this little executive producer gal comes up <laughs> and says, guys, just interrupts the conversation. And Gates was generally, you know, having a good time. I could tell. He, you know, we were talking tech <laughs> and kidding around. And he says, guys, you know, I, I realize I told you to stand on this piece of tape, but now I need you to stand on that one. And she pointed to a spot 10 feet away. And we kind of looked at each other puzzled. And I could swear I saw a depressed look on Bill Gates' face <laughs> because the three of us walked 10 feet away and left Gates standing there by himself while we continued to joke around. It was, it was really quite sad, actually. That's so bad. <laughs> the testament to Bill Gates' life. He can't even have fun when he wants to. Wow. Yeah, he's got handlers, you know, basically, right? Yeah, and his handlers at the time, um, Steve, uh, what's Steve's last name? Ben Rokel, who he's now in um, GXI, GXA in Microsoft. Great guy. Very technically savvy, does all the messaging. Uh, his current handler is also a very cool person. Okay, so, but I'm not the only one that runs into famous people at uh, at shows. Uh, Nick, I heard, ran into a famous European rock star the other day in Germany. <laughs> oh what God. happened there? <laughs> I can't believe you're bringing this up. Germany? So who, who, was this Britney Spears, Nick? Who was it? Um, I was uh, speaking at this uh, great show in Germany in Frankfurt uh, two weeks ago called uh, .NET 1. And .NET 1 was this really, really advanced show with these uh, amazing speakers, people like, uh, well, you know, Tim, uh, Michelle Arubustamente? Mm -hmm. Yes, I there. do. She's spoken at our user group uh, three times, I believe, we've got her. She's a San Diego. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, actually, she's from Toronto, though. 
Right. Oh, goddamn, with that Canada thing again. She yeah. lives in San Diego, goddammit, for a yeah, reason. Yeah, we, we have the best women, you know. They're beautiful and they're <laughs> smart. <laughs> so Michelle was there talking about reflection attributes. Security. We have uh, beautiful, smart women. Don't you watch Jerry Springer? I saw one on there today, a 400-pound lesbian who told her boyfriend <laughs> to go take a hike. Or pregnant, 400-pound pregnant lesbian. Yeah, brought out her toothless lover, and they started going at it right there, and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and then I remembered why I don't watch Jerry Springer. It makes me sad to be an American. <laughs> oh, boy. Do you have anything like that up there, Jerry Springer? Um, Nothing is bad, no. <laughs> you have more self-esteem than that. Yeah, I they guess. They have Don Cherry on that Sunday night hockey thing. <laughs> All right, anyway, so let's hear about this girl. Okay, so so essentially it was this show where everybody, uh, these great speakers were there, uh, Ted Neuer, Dino Esposito, and uh, Ralph, West, Ralph Westball was the regional director in Germany. And All the MSDN authors. So we, I was at this hotel because it was at the Maritime Hotel, this amazingly beautiful hotel in the middle of Frankfurt that has this big concert hall right next to it. And the weekend we got there, right before the show, there was this big two-night charity event. So all the big pop stars and the boy groups and all the big stars from Germany were there to sing at this charity event. The hotel was swarming with groupies. I, I've never seen this. I, I thought they were there for our show at first. <laughs> you know, Landry groupies. I wish. No, we don't get groupies like this. We get short, stubby geeks, you know, who stomp us with tough questions about mobility. Glam your autograph. <laughs> so we're uh, we're at this uh, this hotel, and there's groupies everywhere. And after you know the evening, we're at the bar partying with the other speakers and having fun. And then I see this little group of people that move up to the elevator, and I see this really sexy chick, blonde chick, you know, with these funky pants. So, being active Nick, I guess, I just walk up to her, and I look at her and say, I really like your pants. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great pickup line. Does that work for you often? <laughs> that, that was pretty good, because then I said, like, did you buy them like this? Did you have them made for you or something? Yeah. So, she was all flattered and pleased and everything. We chit-chatted a bit, and then she leaves with her friends in the elevator. And then as I come back, people are like, oh my God, oh my God, what did you just do? And I'm like, what's going on? Well, did you know who, who that was over there? And I'm like, just a sexy girl, I guess. No, that was Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, isn't that Linda Hamilton's character in The Terminator? <laughs> and he, no, no, she's this big pop star. Everybody love her in, here in Germany. And she's the equivalent of... Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera, but for Germany. So they're like, how did you, did you get to talk to her? Like, why was she even speaking to you, you know? Hmm. I said, I don't know, maybe it's a Canadian thing again or a French thing, I don't know. So then later on, of course, when she comes back down in the lobby, I ran after her again and I just went, hi, now that I know who you are, I just thought I'd introduce, I'd introduce myself. So you got some so, pictures, didn't you? I actually have pictures. Maybe I could give you the pictures yeah, for well, uh, the website. Absolutely. I actually have two. I've seen the pictures. They're worth posting on the website. Okay, we'll do that. <laughs> yeah, she's she's cute. Reminds me of Cameron Diaz a little bit. Huh. Yeah, uh, as sexy, I would say, very easily. So, so Nick, that was a big thing for that for that show, but the, it was a great show overall. I got a chance to talk about the uh, the compact framework and uh, building compatible applications for .NET cool. and uh, the architecture and infrastructure differences. 
I love Germans. They, they, they work hard, but they also play hard, and they host amazing events. So uh, let's get back to the framework, if you don't mind. Uh, oh, sure. That's sort of why you're here. So tell me what's not there and what's there. We, were, we started that uh, earlier, but I'd like to finish up. Okay, sure. I, I already stated that there is a full CLR with the full services from the CLR without com interrupt though, right. and no pre-jitting. Right. Uh, the class libraries, you get a 25% subset. Okay. So they're not all there, but you get a lot of classes and um remoting's of, not there, we said. Well, what's not there? You have stuff that you don't mind like directory services and enterprise services for complex. That's not not appropriate. WMI and service process. That's okay. The the the, the things that are not there that we're kind of mourning for are uh, system.configuration, so oh. you don't have the config file. Okay. So you'd have to resort to your own format or the registry. Right. Um, as I already said, there's no system messaging for MSMQ, no remoting. Uh, there's no serialization, no generic serialization, actually. Hmm. That's a big uh, minus, the yeah. serialization worm. Definitely. Oh, Be nice so I think the number is actually 30%, though, right, Nick? That's uh, 30% of the framework. Uh, I'll be honest in. with you, I yeah. haven't counted them, but that's probably a very Out good bet. Out of 6,500 framework classes, you haven't counted them up? So I know I saw a uh, a list the other day in Redmond, obviously somewhat NDA, but it's like the the ten framework classes missing that we'd most love to see. Yeah, I got a question for you, Nick, and this has to do with what we're talking about in a roundabout way, but it has to do with you know memory constraints and all that stuff. Yep, memory is small, you know. But hard drives. I've got a twenty gig hard drive that also happens to play MP3s and videos. That's like smaller than an iPack, or you know, it's about as big. Why can't why can't we do that? Why can't why do we have to have a sixty four megabyte limit? Well, first of all, they're jamming a lot of stuff in those little devices. Uh-huh. You get Wi Fi connectivity. I know you get a lot get. of ports. I, I know that, but you know, it just seems that memory is small. Why can't why can't we have more? Why can't we have a bigger framework? I think they also don't want to drive the price up because flash memory is still not very, very cheap. And already these devices are running 300 to $600. Yeah. And uh, they want to try to keep them as low as possible. But you can get more if you want. But do you so, think in the future that, uh, that, that we'll have more memory, we'll have hard drives, we'll have those things built in? I don't think you'll get a hard drive because the problem with hard drives is they're, they're mechanical pieces. Right. You'll probably just get more flash RAM. More flash. You already have 512 and even 1 gigabyte flash cards. Huh. Compact flash format. Um, you can get a 256 meg SD card uh, with 512 coming soon. Um, already the yeah, new I just iPad... got one actually. Pardon? I just got one actually today. Well, just exactly. Came. And the new iPad that you got uh, has 48 megabytes of ROM in there, whereas all the new models that were coming out in the last year only had 32 megs of ROM. So what's in the ROM and what versus what goes in the RAM? Well, the ROM will contain the operating system itself, the Pocket PC and Windows CE. Okay. Stuff that Microsoft puts in there, plus the few applications that your uh, OEM will add in there, oh. like little menus and little uh, configuration things that are specific to the device. Okay. The great thing about some devices, like the iPad, for example, is that since the ROM is not full, they give you access to that ROM. Yeah. So in the case of your iPad, you have 24 megabytes of of, of the iPad file store that you can access, and that's solid state. So it's um. Hmm. Okay. You can directly save in there, and even if you lose everything, um, you're still going to keep your data in there. Oh, good. good. So okay. the, the big limiting factor in in handheld devices is battery too. True. 
the, the battery technology is way behind. Yeah. And they just can't make batteries that can keep up with all the horsepower in the device system. Yeah, you wind up getting sleeves that have batteries on them, but then, then it's a big device once you pack, you know, the big sleeve on the back of it. Well, starting next year and from then on, you'll, you're going to see some great devices because they have this new battery technology. It's a liquid polymer that you can just put in there to fill in like every little space that's going to be left. And um, these batteries, first of all, are going to be bigger just because they occupy most, more space in there. They're not like square batteries. And uh, on top of it, these batteries can just capture residual energy from the air around them. Ooh. So your, your own body will be able to, to power your devices. That sounds weird. So, no, but seriously, this is coming. And this is not something that's going to hit mainstream like right away. And this is not going to recharge your, your device right away just by holding it in your hand. But at least it's going to lower the consumption of your device by providing some extra juice hmm. as you use it in the day. Wow. So it's, it's, a, it's a very cool field, and you're going to see a, great, a lot of great technologies hitting the streets Nick, over the next few years. Nick, we were talking with Scott Stanfield, and he, he says that batteries are going to rule the day. They're going to rule us in the future. We were talking about uh, this epiphany that I had that in the future I, I had this revelation that the only job left will be computer programmer because, you know, the, the job of a programmer is to automate all the other jobs. <laughs> and so so the only job left will be computer programmer at some point. And he said, computer programmer and battery management. Yeah, well, wasn't that all the, the, the whole thing about the Matrix where the yeah. whole species yeah. was turned into batteries? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why they called them copper top. Gentlemen, I'm here at the uh, Microsoft San Diego office. Okay. And I gotta MC the user group, so I gotta sign off. Well, tell them all about .NET Rocks, will you? Uh, absolutely. In fact, it's in the slides for tonight. <laughs> you better believe it. Excellent. So expect a gazillion people getting awesome. your uh, your site soon. Thanks, Tim. So it was a pleasure talking to all of you. Thanks very much for calling. Thanks, all right, Tim. and then we'll see you around, huh? All right. Take care, Tom. See you Bye, Tim. later, gentlemen. Bye. There goes a crazy man right there. Yep. The first time I saw him speak was at the. Uh, .NET Author Summit in 2001, I believe, and um, he was doing a train-the-trainer kind of thing. Uh, no, it was the RD Summit, and so he get up to, gets up to do his talk. He's got a bottle of uh, Absolute filled with water sitting on, on the podium, and every once in a while, he'd just take a big old hit off it, and he didn't tell anybody, don't worry, it's just water. <laughs> so, that's you know, Tim. <laughs> that's just typical Tim. Never made yeah. a reference to it. Never said what. It's just water. Never said any. Just completely just hit <laughs> off of it the whole time. I thought that was great. <laughs> <laughs> and I could see Ilya Buchenstein in the front row going, "Well, you got that out." <laughs> okay. Uh, hey Nick, what kind of devices uh, run the Compact framework? Well, that's a good question, because as of today, there are no devices that ship with the Compact Framework in there. Microsoft has sent it to manufacturers and OEMs so that they can include it in their next release of Windows C .NET devices, so the CE4. And I haven't seen any official uh, statements as to when we're going to see C .NET devices, but you can bet that we're going to have quite a few in 2003. Um, right now, your best bet is to use a Pocket PC 2000 or Pocket PC 2002 device because that's the only generation of Windows CE 3 devices that will support the .NET Compact Framework. So Windows CE.NET in general doesn't support it? Windows CE.NET does. Windows CE, of course it does. Because it's version 4, but Windows right. CE 3 doesn't. 
Windows CE3 does not. Yeah, because Pocket PC 2000 and 2002 are based on CE3. Got it. But that's the only implementation of CE3 that will run the Compact Framework. The others will not. I get so, it. So, for example, the handheld 2000 will not run the Compact Framework. And Microsoft has been pretty adamant that they don't intend to change that anytime soon. Okay. And uh, What about for the mobile internet toolkit stuff? What devices? For the, yeah, for the ASP.NET mobile designer, that's the great thing because you get a much broader reach there. And when Tim was asking me about the whole debate between a rich client and web apps on the mobile mobile field, um, the great thing about ASP.NET mobile designer is that you, you get many more devices there. And you can use even Palm devices, BlackBerry devices, all the CE devices, smartphones, uh, standard WAP phones, WML phones. So a lot of devices support this. And in fact, if you look at the, the range of devices that were supported by the time this thing RTM'd earlier this year, it corresponded to 80% of the world market for all mobile devices out there. And Microsoft has been posting uh, new device updates that you can just install on your ASP.NET server that gives you uh, a much broader range. So I, I think we should actually have this link up with the show because this is where people can get device updates. That's just an update to your machine config, right? Exactly. It just adds stuff to your machine config. It's a whole catalog of features that says this device supports color or not, or supports, supports WML or CHTML or DHTML, right. and graphics or no, and the whole slew of things that the last time I, or not. Last time I looked, it was about, what, 200 devices that it supported? Oh, it's actually much more than that now. Huh. Wow. Great. So you mentioned Blackberries. I mean, are we going to be able to do something with, with really small devices like that in the future? Well, the thing with the BlackBerry is that it's it's very, very thin. You don't have a lot of, of, of stuff inside of the operating system in there. And, and sadly, the thing with the BlackBerry is also a very, very closed operating system. They are not opening stuff up like Microsoft does on Windows CE. So that's why it's it's much more limiting in terms of building applications. We do that's build applications with BlackBerry here, but it's always going to hit a .NET backend. Right. I have a friend that calls them crackberries because he says they're so addictive. <laughs> he just can't deal without his BlackBerry. Well, the big thing about the Blackberries is they have always-on connectivity. And right now, they're the only devices that have that. But as soon as you see other devices that have always-on connectivity, you're going to see the demand for Blackberries drop considerably. Right. right. I totally agree. Well, you know, I've said before on other shows that um, I, I think this is a, a new world of opportunity for developers uh, to go ahead and learn about mobile development right now. I think that's going to assure them the ability to make money in the future. Yeah, definitely. That, that is exactly why we created .blocks, and uh, we're just having fun with all these technologies, so that's why we're there. Nick, any final thoughts before we say goodnight? It's been a long show. Of course, and uh, I'll give a break to everybody out there. Um, the first thing is, whenever you design applications, try to remember that even though the Compact Framework and the ASP.NET Mobile Designer do reuse the same programming model as the desktop and the server, um, the user experience is not the same for those people. So don't design your applications in the same way. Take into consideration that they're going to be, as we said, standing up and just popping it out of their pockets and hmm. quickly inputting something or looking up something and then shutting down the machine. Okay. So the user experience is not the same. Remember this when you design your applications. Great. Number two, 
Pick the right device for the right job. Obviously. Don't give an iPad to a construction worker, and don't give a bulky, ruggedized device to a sales rep who's going to walk around in a suit. We'll put a link to that company you mentioned that makes the ruggedized devices. Oh, there's a lot of companies like Symbol Technologies and Intermec that are leaders in this. And, uh, yeah, I'll give you links for those. Great. In the end, just have fun with it. Uh, mobility is great. It's finally there. It's reachable. It makes good business sense. And uh, I know we have a lot of fun with it, so I hope other developers out there will. Well, .NET is certainly fun to use and fun to develop in, and this is just another way to uh, another way to use your talents to uh, to save people time and money, and that's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. So, on behalf of myself and Mark and the entire VBNet community and the .NET community at large, we don't want to leave out our C sharp brethren, but uh, you know, we all speak <laughs> VB here. Let's face it. I'd like to thank you for uh, being on .NET Rocks. And it's been great to be on the show. Come back again, won't you? Of course. All right. Definitely. Keep on rocking, buddy. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care, Nick. Bye. Good night. Time, boy. Life is hard.